Chaz, what is going on, dude? How you doing, dude? Good, bro. How you doing? I'm good, man. Um, as we were just talking before we got on here, I spent the last week back home in Idaho, which has just been like a, a good refresher. I'm just kind of getting back into the groove of everything I've spent all morning um, just creating content. And like I almost took the whole last week, I just tried to deload basically okay. and just relax a little bit. So now that I'm I'm back home and in the office, things are a little bit crazy, just getting everything back structured. You know how that goes. But oh, yeah. but overall, man, things are things are good. I feel refreshed. I feel like I'm in a good spot. I enjoyed Mother's Day with um, the wife and, and her parents and our parents. So things are good. Dope, dope. How how long is your lease at your or your agreement with your house in St. George? We are here. Um, we signed a, a lease last December. And so it's just a year long. And then from there, man, um, I haven't even talked with you about this off air or anything too, but just like figuring out what we're going to do next. I, I never really thought that, and this is kind of putting the cart before the horse because there's no, no like decisions made on our point yet. But um, I don't know, man, I, I had this weird urge, like not to get back to Idaho anytime soon, but like as we were home, I was just thinking that's my home. Do you know what I mean? And, and at home, or I'm a, a country boy, small town boy at heart. You know what I mean? Like that's just yeah. where I feel like just at the most East, you know what I mean? Like just the mm-hmm. simple type of life. And so while we were there, I, I, I hadn't been homesick at all since we had left out. This is my first time. Well, I left for college um, a couple of times, but this is the first time since then in the last long time that I've ever left Idaho. And right. just going back made me realize how much I enjoy it. And at some point, maybe ending up back there as we have more babies and whatnot and, and to grow a family in a much simpler environment like that. And St. George isn't big by any means, but to right. me it is just because I come from a much smaller community. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man, it was, it was interesting to go back because I felt a little bit homesick once I got there, like just how much I actually appreciate that place. And it's kind of like always like the grass is greener on the other side. You know what I mean? When I was home, I wanted somewhere bigger and now I'm somewhere bigger. It's like, Oh, I miss home. So it's just trying to figure through that. But, but yeah. That is interesting, man. Do you miss the gym? Um, so I got to train back at the gym while I was there because my mom owns it now, right? And mm-hmm. when I got there, I I missed training there, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily miss owning the gym, if that makes sense. Like, Fair enough. Yeah. I, yeah I, I would love to have a private gym to where it wasn't public and we did like monthly memberships and things like that to where it was just kind of mine and I could just do whatever and didn't have to rely on the revenue of it. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I don't. I definitely don't miss owning and operating and running a gym by any means fair enough i thought you were for sure gonna say that you were looking at new spots to move and like this was gonna be the spot but um <laughs> no i actually kind of i kind of thought that that might be the case after seeing i don't know why i just had a hunch that like after seeing your stories from whatnot and being back home like and i know you, i know you talked about that a decent amount like always it seemed like the long term like you you see yourself back there and it sounds like does your wife see that as well, or are you guys pretty on the same page with that? Yeah, so we're both from the same small town in Idaho, right? We both mm-hmm. grew up there. That's where we met each other. We went to high school together. And she doesn't necessarily see it the exact same. She loves St. George. This almost She went to school here, and she lived here for five years um, prior, like in our her young 20s, her low 20s. And so this almost has a, a very home feeling like her as well, as right. Idaho does too. And so she she'll be happy in either place. I think... She likes it here more now in St. George for the time being, just because there's a lot more to do 
and whatnot. You know what I mean? Um, and just like more of her alley. She loves to hike. She loves to bike. She loves to be outdoors, um, all that kind of stuff. And so she really loves it here. But at the same time, like we both really love the idea of, of buying a piece of ground in Idaho and like having, um, we just bought our daughter a horse that's staying at, um, her parents' house at the moment because she loves horses. So we just bought her a horse actually just while we were home this last week, we got her a horse because she absolutely loves it. And so we really both love the idea of like the simplicity of, of buying a house, um, on a piece of property with no neighbors around us, just out in the country filled with the mountains surrounding us in our our little valley that we live in and, and having a horse out back and maybe, um, like my wife loves to garden when we lived there last time, she had a big old garden that she absolutely loved and a few things like that, that isn't as realistic to be able to do here. And right. plus when you look at it, like finance wise, we can build our dream home there compared to our dream home <laughs> here is like half the price. Right. right. And so it's, it's just looking at all of that. And in this environment here in St. George, like we live in a, a great community, but it's every house stacked on top of, of one another and they all look the exact same. Right? right. And there's just something so freeing and so simple and refreshing to me of just having my own house with nobody else really around that I can go for a walk. And there's just like that fresh air, like that Idaho air is so much different. You know what I mean? Just because it's, it's, it just feels so much simpler and so much, I just feel more at peace if that makes sense. No, no, I feel it, man. That's dope. I'm glad you guys are so clear on that. It's, it's interesting to like, like talk to you about this. Like you and I have so much in common, I feel like, but like how much differently to like, yeah. we see things like this or like what we want. That's what like, I know, like, cause where we come from is very similar. Like mm-hmm. how, how many it's Preston, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How, how big of a town is that? Um, so our like actual town population is probably like 6,000, but the County, everybody around us, um, we're, we're like 12 to 15,000 probably. So it's not big at all compared to St. George. There's a few hundred thousand. Right, right. And I feel like Idaho and like Nebraska, like I'm from a town of 8,000, right? And it's very, very like, similar. very similar. Like the biggest, there's like <laughs> two Omaha and Lincoln, like two large towns in Nebraska. Those are like four and five hours away. And then like the next like big, we are like the big town in like yeah. the surrounding counties, yeah. like 8,000. Like we have a Walmart. Or we, but it's, it's interesting. Like, like that's like, I really have no desire to go back. Right. Ever. Like I love to see my, no, like I love, I love to see my family, but straight up, like, <laughs> I, I want everyone to just move here. Like it's, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting for sure, man. There's no, like, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting how, and that's very much like how Katie is also. Cause she's from Nebraska. My girlfriend, yeah. Katie, like she's from Nebraska as well. And like a very small town too. It's, we love it here so much, but anyway, it sounds like the dream of having that content studio together might be dying, bro. Who knows, dude, unless you want to move to the small town Preston, maybe I'll, I'll buy a place <laughs> right on main street there and, and turn that into a, a private place. But that's like, that's, I say that on the podcast, but I don't say that as like, it's happening. I'm just kind of talking through walking oh, through know. my thoughts. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's definitely nothing that's, that's happening yet. It's just something that's been on my mind a little bit looking at the future. And when we first moved down here, my whole thought process was like, I love it here. I, why would I ever go back there? Do you know what I mean? But for some reason, um, I just feel pulled to it. Like it's just in my blood. Like I, I just tug towards it. Do you know what I mean? It's an interesting, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's super weird. Have you, um, watched the show or heard about the show Yellowstone? Yeah. Katie's just been watching that recently. Actually. Have you watched it? Yeah. It kind of sucks you in bro. Yeah. I've watched I, a couple episodes here and there and I always get caught up in it. Yeah. My, uh, my wife, 
and I started watching it a few weeks ago. We've already gone through all three seasons of it. And I started watching that and it, it reminds me of like, of being back in Idaho, right? It was super similar. And as I was watching that show, I was just like, man, like I kind of miss just the, the simplicity of like what that show entails in that way. You know what I mean? Um, and so like, that's kind of where the feeling started. And then we went home and I was like, man, I, I do kind of miss this. So who knows? It's interesting. Who knows if we'll end up back there or if we don't, like we're not super focused on any of that quite yet. We've obviously still got time here. So who knows? Okay. I must not have watched as much Yellowstone to get a gist of it. Cause I feel like from what I've seen, it's like, it's like a mob, like it's almost like, like, uh, uh, like an old, like, mm-hmm. like a mafia family kind yeah. of feel in there, the, like, the ranch. people and shit all the time. Like, yeah. And I, I don't think that's necessarily what you're referring to though. Not necessarily that part. No, but, <laughs> but like my, my family, so my dad's side of the family, my parents are divorced, but my dad's, my dad lives on a big ranch, a big yeah. broodmare farm ranch where he, um, he breeds racehorses. Right. And so like, it's the same type of feel obviously um not all the craziness that goes on in that, in that <laughs> show literally kill people really. yeah but the funny thing about that show too is like it kind of reminds me of my family in like a much more like movie-esque way right like it's much more extreme yeah. but just like the dynamic with like because my grandpa was the entrepreneur of the family right like we owned a bunch of gas stations and then it was my uh dad that was involved and then it was um my aunt that was involved and then all the grandkids were involved and all working it and so like it it was just a weird dynamic like it it took me back to to the old days before we had started lost and lifting and i was working in like the the gas stations and and helping run the family business so i got a kick out of it i loved it that's wild dude i love it what's been going on with your training man um, training has been good, dude. Actually, while we went home, I took an entire, basically just the, an entire active rest week, right? Yeah. I've been running, uh, my programming. I've kind of switched it up a little bit to where I've been running. Um, I don't know exactly how, how I would call it, but just running three week blocks. Like I ran an entire 12 week cycle with three week blocks to where, um, I was starting each week or like the first of each block out at a, like an RPE six to seven, putting all new movements in and then each week increasing that through the three weeks. Right. And then, um, I would switch to a new block in the next and switch out the exercises and start at a lower RPE and build that up throughout the three weeks where I was hitting really, really close to failure on the last, um, that third week, and then just increased it that way in kind of a wave wave loading spectrum. And then just took one big, long active rest, um, deload this last week. So I really enjoyed it because before that I was running three week blocks of like, um, trying to keep RPE up close around like, um, an eight to 10 on most movements, like the compound was an eight to nine and then getting relatively close to failure on everything that I was doing. Um, and then just taking one deload every fourth week essentially. And so this time I tried to, I'm almost like taking a deload in that first week, but it's not quite as low of, um, intensity as a deload would be in that week one when I'm just relearning the movements and then taking that third week to failure, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. opposed to before I was training everything a lot closer to failure and then just taking a deload um, a lot sooner. So I, I kind of like this way a little bit better, honestly, right. to where um, I'm doing like the wave loading essentially to three week blocks of getting close to failure on that third week. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that style for the last while. It's kind of like a, a hybrid of, of, a few different people like what um, Steve does and, and it's not quite that, but it's, it's similar in my own little mm-hmm. fashion. So I've enjoyed it. No, for sure. And that, that's pretty similar to like what I do as well, but in longer blocks. Yeah. Um, How long are your blocks? Mine are typically six weeks. So 
five weeks of accumulation or one week of deload. That said, like it's deload week, and then the first week everything's at three RIR, and the volume is pretty low. So very much after the deload. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's very. It almost to me, it almost feels like you're deloading for two weeks. Yeah. Um, but like the it makes sense too. Like the thought process behind it is like you're slightly more like your volume demands to elicit adaptation. Like the amount of stimulus you need is so much lower, not so much lower, but it is slightly lower over a deload. Whereas like there's a fine line between like, okay, we're doing enough to stimulate the adaptations we want versus almost like drinking from a fire hose, right? Like if we jump right into like right away, I'm going to do four or five sets on everything, uh, like in a one RIR, zero to one RIR. We're going to have to deload quicker, but that was like way more than we needed. Whereas like the thought process is like, okay, we're stair-stepping it up. So we're kind of matching the stimulus to the demand. Like this is like every week. Okay. Last week we trained at three RIR. So we need to do a little bit more to get adequate stimulus to push along growth. Right. So we're going to push a little harder. We're going to push a little harder, a little little harder. Whereas like it feels weird to not go like right into like a zero to one RIR, like one RIR, but it makes sense. Like, kind of like stair-stepping it up as needed. Um, but yeah, that's t- we're six week blocks. Let me switch over my camera here really quick if I can. Oh, okay. shit, man. Uh, you're good. All right, I'll just keep this rolling. We'll see my camera's about to die, but hopefully it switches to my um, computer cam. Anyways, dude. Yeah, so that's typically like how our blocks look. But are you still in kind of a maintenance phase? Yeah, just slowly, um, slowly, tr- slowly trying to see the, the – scale uptick right just get stronger over time and um slowly build up the scale and and i'm doing the same thing in terms of uh, volume like i'm starting the first week with relatively like three to two set two to three sets on each of the exercises and then as i get to that third week just depending on how i'm feeling like i'm trying to push those sets up by around a set per week on on the big movements where i'm trying to really push volume in different sorts of ways so um yeah man i've i've really enjoyed that style of training, but yeah, slowly just building. Um, I think the last time we talked, which was probably a month ago, I was sitting Mm -hmm. here, I had gone from like 180 up to around 183 or so. And then it's been a month and this month I've really only gained, um, about another pound, maybe two pounds. I'm weighing in now like 184, 185, but still not even tracking anything super accurately, just using the scale kind of as, as my gauge to understand when I maybe need to be eating a little bit more compared to uh, like backing off on it a little bit and just trying to slowly see that, that scale uptick over time. So it's been interesting. And, and that's how I've always kind of ran my, my bulks. I've never like taking a, and this is probably bad, honestly, but I've never taken a bulk super seriously to where um, I stay disciplined enough to track through the entire bulk. I always end up in a dirty bulk in the long term, right? When I'm going through cutting to, to building phases, I always just end up saying, screw it. But, um, and I'll even, honestly even stop weighing myself and just always just kind of use it as an excuse to eat whatever I wanted. Um, but this time I've tried to reel it in. I'm still not tracking everything, but being very mindful just in terms of um, getting three to five protein feedings per day. Um, and then just slowly making sure the scales uptaking over time. So it's been enjoyable. It's been like the first time in, in quite a while that I've taken my training 
super seriously and trained very consistently four times per week. Um, as opposed to before I was kind of just all over the place, program hopping, doing a lot of different stuff to where this time I've really dedicated like these 12 week meso cycles to what I'm doing. So, so yeah, man, it's been going good. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I love the structure of it too. Like I love having like training programs all dialed up, knowing what I'm doing for the next 12 weeks, how, how I'm phasing it, when deloads are going to be implemented and, um, just kind of using my intuition in terms of the nutrition side. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it hurts me to like, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of like doing it intuitively. It's in, it's again, like interesting. Like, I feel like that's very much true. Like with programming, but the thing is like, it's worked super well for you, right? Like yeah. you definitely like have built a lot of muscle, but again, like the pr- programming, I, I feel like the last, at least like the last year or so, it seems like more or less you've experimented with a lot of different things and kind of like, tried a ton of different styles as opposed yeah. to like have one specific direction and then similar to the nutrition it's but again it seems like it's like like for me that's so hard to like you you're like how are you okay with not tracking everything like, what? <laughs> what? i mean it's so it, it's interesting dude but i mean it's also worked super well for you yeah i mean if it wasn't if i wasn't i'm i'm more of the minimalist side so i'm gonna figure out how can I do that the least amount of effort and still create the maximal result from it? Right. And so if like what I was doing at the moment, if I didn't think that it was working in any sort of a way, if, and I didn't see progress happening, then I would up the ante a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? Like then I would add in more tracking tediously, but I feel like what I'm doing now is getting me the result that I desire at the moment. And so like, I'm just rolling with it. Cause I know I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to want to go through a cut. Um, Hell, I don't even know at this point. I was thinking about doing it in the next month or two, but then I just feel like I'm cutting myself short from the building phase, right? Because right. it's going well. So why would I I cut it short just to get lean by the end of the year to be hungry and and, and miserable? <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, so yeah, I I always try to do the least amount that I can that's still gonna create the exact result that I want. And so I would start with as little as possible and then I'll add to that as needed to make sure that my desire or craving of what I wanted to achieve is still being met, if that makes sense, which is a different, definitely a different line of thinking from like that shows in our content, even I think too, oh, yeah. right? Like the way that you produce um, very like detailed in-depth content compared to um, me trying to keep things as simple and just understandable and, and least amount of, I guess you could almost say inconvenience as possible to make it work in two different, two different ways. And that's why we, a lot of the time we attract different types of clientele and our businesses are so different, which is interesting. Oh, for sure. I was actually just having like, this reminded me very much of a conversation I was having with like one of the coaches that I coach. Um, he was like asking me a question about one of his clients and it was like, basically it seems like clients more or less, we can split it into two different categories, right? Like there's on one end and it's weird to a weird extent. Most people seem to fall on us. Like on one end we have people who I want to know, like, as much as possible i want to make sure i'm optimizing absolutely as much as possible like and like within like your programming like everything like i want to know like the thought process behind this like all these things and then on the other end we have like typically hey i want like the minimum effective dose really if you send me like a 20 minute video i might not watch all of it like, yeah let's just keep these answers succinct like i want to learn i don't i would say i want to learn the least amount possible but again like i like you don't like if we can just keep this like as simple for me as possible, that's better, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but I feel like clients 
um, it's most people fall into one of those two camps with the people we coach. And I think that for us, like, especially even like over the last one to two years, like one of the biggest learning experiences for me has been like, I have to be okay with like the clients that aren't like, okay, I want to know everything, but rather like if I send them this 20 minute intro video, they're like going to yeah. really struggle to even get started. Whereas like, okay, let's very much simplify this. It, just interesting, dude. Have you seen that with clients or what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I get a lot of coaches that work with, with me as well. Right. I work with a decent amount of coaches on their own training and nutrition. And with them, I, they're always much more apt to want to know the ins and the outs and the whys of everything that I'm doing. And so, um, with those types of people, I definitely have to be much more conscious of like giving full entire explanations compared to the everyday gen pop type of person that our business is basically built around the majority of people that we work with. Like the way that we brand ourselves and market ourselves is to help you find your confidence through sustainable training and nutrition. Right. And at the end of the day, that comes down to really just people, most people out there aren't using fitness to be their life. They could give a shit less how it works and why it works. They just want a plan that's going to work that fits within their lifestyle that doesn't create too much of an inconvenience. And that's the the main person that I work with and help. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. The two different sides, the the people that I see that want to know the ins and outs of it the most are generally the coaches, um, that come in that, that want to work with me that, that come in to learn it. And that's what I always say. Whenever a coach will DM me or, or anything like that, um, they'll say like, I'm trying to get my business started. Like things are going this and this way. And, and I just feel like I need more help. Like, do you have any suggestions? And my suggestion to everybody, most people is always like, it's not go out and get more certifications or, or go out right. and, and learn a whole lot more, which those things can obviously be beneficial be beneficial, but it's just hiring somebody and seeing their systems. You don't even have to hire them for mentoring. Some, some of them will hire me for mentoring instead. And then some of them will just come on as a nutrition and training client. And it's not that I tell them like, you have to hire me. I just tell them hire a coach and they're asking me like, well, do you have a spots available? You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic between the two, but yeah, yeah. It's really all my thoughts on it. No, man. I'd agree though. hundred percent. Like, on that note, the best way to, if you're trying to grow your business, if you haven't invested in a coach, it is like, that's the single best way to learn. I I know for me, like every time I've hired a new coach, it's always like a, holy shit. Like I literally just pick up so much from like systems or like the way that they deliver things or like the way they interact with me. Like I literally, you always take away so much that you can apply. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, I know, like, when I first started with Cody and with Steve as well, like, it's always a massive leap forward. It's like, there's, I feel like there's still so many people out there too that I want to work with, but at the same time, it's like, damn, I love working with Steve. I'm making great progress as well. So it's hard to, that's like the only downside of it, I feel like. But truly, I think that's like the single best way if you're a coach to improve like the quality of results that you can help your clients achieve, your systems, really everything. Yeah, that's what I just did with Alex too. Is um, we were on a phone call last week, and Alex is um, a coach for me, right? He's a coach for Lost and Lifting, and and we were having that conversation. And um, I told him like, you need to go out and because hi- he knows so much. He's learned like smart, very very smart dude. Really really knows what he's doing. Got he's gone to school. He's just got his bachelor's. He just graduated. He's done 
a ton of certifications, like really knows what he's doing. But um, we're having that conversation. It's like, have you ever hired a, a coach for yourself to work with? Or have you just been out like learning the ins and outs and you're really, really good at the science side of it. But now it's time to go work with other people and see how they deliver that so that you can right. create your craft inside of that as well. Right. And in how you're um, delivering it for yourself too. And really like building out your foundation as a coach and your connection with clients opposed to just knowing the the science of everything. And, and that's something that he's really been grasping and, and right. um, we've hired him a coach for him to be working with as well and things like that. So um, it's been a good transition. And what about you, man? Are, are you currently just working with Steve at the moment now? Do you have anybody on the back end that, that um, you're working with on anything or, or what's going on there? I'm just working with Steve right now. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. Uh, now, dude, I'm just working with Steve right now. Uh, well, I had Alan Cress on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. There, okay. are you familiar with him? Yeah, a little bit. I don't know him super well, but he's been brought up so many times by different people. Like I've heard his name that I just started um, following along to his stuff and whatnot. So I'm not super familiar with him, but I've heard a lot about him. He's got a. He seems like he's pretty popular within like the the coaching industry with like the coaching networks and whatnot. No, very smart dude. So. Talk to him a bit about potentially doing like some type of mentoring, and that would be more like specific to training and nutrition than business, I think. But yeah, as of now, it's um, either that or I'm potentially going to take some N1 education. Take N1? Yeah. I've been thinking, yeah, I've been thinking deep into um, the N1 courses as well. That's actually who Alex is working with, is he's working with the guy that actually you brought on the podcast. Um, Oh, CJ or Cody? Yeah, Cody, CJ, um, that's who he actually just hired for for a training nutrition. But I've been thinking about going into that too. I think we talked a little bit about N1 um, on the last couple of shows, but I really enjoyed their content and just how I feel like they're like making a splash in the industry with like exercise selection and how to um, like go about executing exercises and how to put emphasis on particular muscle groups and things like that, which I've learned a, a lot about in the last little while just by following along to their content. So I've been thinking heavily about investing into, um, is it like a, yeah, we're good. What exactly? All right, brief technical difficulty, there, but we are recording once again. No, man, I think they basically just have like, they have program design courses. They have like, I think it's kind of just a do it your own pace thing. It's not like a certification. Um, I'm just so, t- I want to get back into training. I I'm just wrapping up Mac nutrition and I feel like I've just been, you got that done almost. Yeah. But I feel like I've just been studying. It's a year-long course, and I feel like I've been studying nutrition for so long. And the thing about nutrition as well is, like, nutrition is interesting. But there's – I feel like there's, like, not that much new. Do you know what I mean? Like, It just all comes back to the same principles (laughs) every single time. No matter matter which way you want to skin the cat, you end up getting to the exact same thing. To where training is a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. because there's so many people that like have such different approaches to training whereas like everyone that's like ethical and doing business in a smart evidence-based way more or less has pretty similar like the principles for nutrition are all the same right yeah. and we're gonna put that to the client but there's just so many different things that we can like learn and do with training yeah that it's like i'm i'm stoked to be able to study something else for a bit because again that's been a very very long like Okay, we're very focused on nutrition. Yeah, a year to follow Mac Nutrition is a that's a long time. 
But that's a good, like that's a, that's something that's cool just to have on your quote unquote resume. You know what I mean? To have gone through it. But um, that, that's the cool thing about training in my opinion is there's so many people that go about it in so many different ways that still can create really, really good results for people. Oh, no, you know absolutely. what I mean? Which is makes it much more intriguing and almost more of like your own art form when it comes to program design and what you do in that manner. Um, right opposed to nutrition to where just, as you said, like everybody's pretty much following the same set of guidelines, but they're obviously delivery and how you coach it is, is different. But like at the end of the day, very, very similar as opposed to training, you can get very, very different styles from different types of people. And that's why I took honestly the last year, like just to try a bunch of different training styles and things that were out of my comfort zone. Um, mm-hmm. it, did, it wasn't great for my overall body composition, obviously, because a lot of program hopping, but what it allowed me to do is see a lot of different styles um, that allowed me to be able to get to a point today where I've kind of created my own art on how I go about program design for different types of clients and their different types of needs, not only physically, but emotionally and what they want from those workout sessions. You know what I mean? In different ways like that, but can still um, meet the needs of the result that they're getting, but also satisfy them in terms of like what they're wanting to feel from their workouts too, which is very different for different types of people and, and their backgrounds like CrossFitters compared to bodybuilders and and things like that. So um, yeah. Couldn't agree more Cool. You want to get in some questions? Sure. Let's All do right. it. I believe you have a decent amount also, correct? Yeah, I do. Cool. All right. Let's start off. I have, and we'll probably split this into two episodes because I think we have a decent amount here. Cool. Um, how to know when to take a deload versus a week off of training. How to know when to take a deload versus a week off. It's a really good question. I think there's a lot of, it's a lot of nuance that you could go into with that. So for myself, what I do a lot of the time is I'm just going to gauge where my motivation is to even be at the gym at the end of a training cycle, right? Like if I'm to a point to where I'm sick of going and like it's mentally a lot of work to get in there and I'm just exhausted from it, Mm -hmm. then I'm probably in a position where it's like, okay, maybe it's a good idea to take three to five days off from the gym, right? But if I get through a training cycle and at the end of it, I'm in a position to where like I'm not super unmotivated yet. Like I still feel okay, but I'm at the end of a training cycle. Um, and I know that it's probably going to be better for me long-term to take a deload to drop volume down and probably stay like five to six reps shy of failure or just really decrease the amount of volume that I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. but I still have a want to get into the gym. Then I'll take a deload as opposed to taking almost like an active recovery. So, um, from my perspective, that's just a a very, very simple way to look at it from the emotional standpoint that's going to keep you motivated for your next training block um, moving forward to be able to keep progressing in that manner. I agree. That's, I had a, I answered a similar question to this on the podcast not long ago. And I was like, I think the biggest thing is your motivation levels. Interestingly, like, of course there's a lot more like, okay, over, over each week of the mesocycle, we're going to accumulate more and more fatigue. Right. And at some point we eventually have to like allow this fatigue to dissipate, which is why it's smart to take a deload. But like really very much like the amount of fatigue you've accumulated. Like I think the best single metric of it is truly like how motivated are you to train? Like yeah. how excited are you about it? Interestingly, like, so I think for an active recovery phase, typically how I would go about it, I would say for most people, as far as a deload goes, every four to six weeks is a good rule of thumb. The closer you are to, hmm, the closer you're training to like zero to one RIR, the closer you're training to failure consistently, the 
more frequently you're going to need deloads. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like with how I program, which is typically like we're progressing from three to zero to one across five weeks, most people do well, like at least four weeks of accumulation before they need to deload. Um, but again, like I think with a deload really like uh, to look at it as like the motivation, am I excited to train? Um, typically like by the time we need to deload as well, you're going to be feeling a little bit beat up. But really, I think for most people, you can just look at it as like four to six weeks. It's a good rule of thumb. Um, and you really start to tell like, do I feel like I can come in next week and progress what I did this week or not? Whereas an active recovery week, I would say probably happens at the end of like a macro cycle, right? So three to six mesocycles, probably not six, but like three to four mesocycles back to back where, okay, we've probably been training by this point four to four to six months consecutively with like a deload at the end of every mesocycle. But then, okay. So if, are you familiar with the idea of like resensitization or resensitization phases? Mm -hmm. Right. So more or less it's like along the same lines as that where, okay, over time, our body, if we're training for hypertrophy, so we're training for muscle growth, which most of our clients are over time, like our volume needs to continue to list at the same adaptations are going to increase more and more and more. Right. So the idea between like behind, like taking from a physiological perspective, the idea behind taking like an entire week off is we could potentially make our body more sensitive to volume again. Like it's not used to that stimulus anymore. So then once we go back to training even more so than a deload, which a deload is kind of like has the effect in a miniature. Mm-hmm. We think I'm saying all this stuff, like it's certainty, but it's not for sh- like none of this is that it's done. Um, so keep that in mind as well. But then like with a, with the recent sensitization phase again, like, okay, so when we go back to training, volume demands are probably lower. Um, and we can like get back to productive training and productive growth without needing to push volume crazy high. Now that's it for most people. I think that just like psychologically more than anything else, um, people just get burnt again. Like when motivation is really, really low, which it typically is after like, if you've been pushing for that long, typically you'll benefit from a week off. And that same thing with a deload. I always tell clients like, yo, if this means like we have these set, like, okay, you're going to lift 90% of the load for half the reps of last week's first set here. Right. But if you need to turn this into just like two to three days, like the most important thing I want you to take from the deload is you're fired up. You're excited to train when you go back to start next metal cycle. Right. Like that's the primary benefit of it. It's not like we're building muscle. It's also not like, hey, if I hit two deload sessions instead of four, I'm going to like lose any muscle during this time frame, right? So that's typically what I tell people. And then again, like an active recovery, I would say probably once to twice, maybe even up to three times per year is probably a good idea for most people. Simply because again, like typically when that comes about is a, again, you're probably feeling a little bit more burnt out on training. And then also like if you've been it's normal at least for like us that are getting older that are like in our late 20s 30s i feel like for people to just start feeling a little bit more beat up um and i know this is especially true for like clients that i have that are like in their late 30s where it's like okay we're starting to see like hey your shoulders bother you a bit or like your elbows are feeling a little bit rough your knee was giving you issues the other day like this is probably something that's needed like of course we do everything we can to like okay, this movement is giving you pain. We're, we want to like plug in a different movement. We need to identify like what's going on there. But still, like as oftentimes we'll see like, 
Okay, last week you mentioned your elbow was giving issues, so we plugged in this instead of this. We worked through that, but then this week this thing with the knee popped up, and then like that's another good sign that okay, it's probably time to take like an active recovery week. Absolutely, I couldn't agree anymore. You broke it down perfectly. Thank you, dude. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ready for the next one? Yeah, let's get it. All right. Is it possible to put on lean muscle mass quickly while putting on minimal body fat? Yeah. I mean, I would say it, it depends, right? Like yeah. you have to define quickly. I like if you're a newbie, if it's like your first six months to even a year of training in a smart manner, I would say like it was your first time with both training and nutrition kind of aligning to where, okay, you're properly fueling your training. You are eating enough and we're smart with all these things within nutrient timing, et cetera. And you're training in a smart manner. Like a lot of people I've had, like have been training kind of like in a decent fashion, probably not most optimal. And I haven't really been paying attention to my nutrition at all. And thus like I've been under eating, right? Mm -hmm. That person, if it's like, okay, we can improve your programming a lot. We can really get your nutrition dialed in. And so things are much more synergistic than we can typically see. Yeah. You can build, muscle pretty quickly and you're probably not gonna and i would say like most often yeah you will be in a slight surplus but you're by no means going to gain fat excessively quickly um but again like the longer we get into it i would say like like no matter what and i'm not sure where you fall with this but typically like the desired rate of gain when we're in a building phase no matter what is going to be it's never over like 0.5 percent of body weight per week so really for most people it's like Hey, at most, maybe we're gaining. Okay, so like I'm a 200 pound man. Um, so that means like, okay, maybe I gain two percent, I gain one to two percent of my body weight over the course of a month, which is like two to four pounds at most. So no matter what, it's not like, holy shit, like I put on 15 pounds of fat in that month, right? Like it's okay, maybe, and that's like when we're getting to be more intermediate to advanced. So okay, maybe like let's say like one to two pounds of that was muscle, one to two pounds of that is fat. I would say for most people like past the beginner stage, 100% is throwing this number out there, but it seems right. Like expecting about 40 to 50% of the weight gain to be muscle is pretty accurate. But the thing is as well, like people fuck around too much and like try to stay too lean. And I've definitely made this mistake. Whereas like the thing to realize is, well, you might not necessarily be able to put on muscle super quickly while also keeping like we'll also avoid fat gain entirely a like it's very much like you're still gaining fat very 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 slowly and b you can absolutely lose fat very very quickly and maintain all your muscle mass right yeah i would agree um 100 and i would also add to that that i think most people that are probably listening to this show a good majority of them anyways um are probably not as advanced in their training as they think they are and one like perfect example for me of that is actually you working with Paul. I went on Paul's podcast um, just the other day and like I was able to just sit back and watch the progress that he's been able to make with you, right? Like relatively, like he's a trainer himself. He's relatively advanced in in his training, but he hasn't taken the hypertrophy side of things as seriously maybe for the last while and hires you to help him. And, and like, you would look at him and like, think about his history and be like, quote unquote, he's, he's more of an advanced trainee, but look how fast like I saw the the transformation photo that you posted in like eight months, I believe is what it was, right? Was it an eight month transformation? Like eight and a half, and, yeah. 
put on a considerable, like in a very, very impressive amount of muscle um, in a relatively quick amount of time. And so I would say like when you're, when you're deeming yourself a beginner an intermediate or an advanced, you, you don't think about like how long you've been training for the last five years saying like, Oh yeah, I've been lifting weights for the last five years. How long have you been consistently progressing your training and dialed in on your nutrition um, in the past two years? And if you've been very consistent throughout that entire time, the more advanced that you're going to be. But if you've been in and out of it throughout that time and not really dialing things in um, that hardcore, well, you're probably closer to the beginner side of putting in advanced systems that's going to create more advanced results in a quicker time frame. if that makes sense. That's a good point, man. And that's like... That's a great, that's the perfect example of it, Paul. Like he's someone for the, so like Paul is one of my clients um, and I've known Paul for a long time. And he's already been, he's, he was already like a pretty like. Good shape also, too. Yeah, he's already like relatively like definitely muscular dude. You definitely like, okay, this dude looks like he's like a personal trainer, like, right. Like he looks apart. But when we hopped on like his initial call, he was like, yeah, like, like he understands training. He understands nutrition, but his like. I've never had that much structure with my training. I've ne- never necessarily followed like a structured training program. Whereas like we literally lay out, okay, for months and months and months, like here's the plan, right? Same thing like nutrition. Like I have the gist of it. Of course, like I know like quality food sources and he's pretty knowledgeable about it, but he had never tracked his macros consistently, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh dude, like, okay, you're already pretty jacked. There's so much left on the table. Yeah. Like that's like, okay, you're going to crush this, which so that that's such a good example of it right i'd even say like even with like like when i first started working with cody like that's i got way leaner and i built a decent amount of muscle too because again like i wasn't necessarily following i was following an upper lower split i of course had a good idea of what i was doing but i wasn't super structured with it and i wasn't structured at all with my nutrition and like that does even like even like i would say with like how i don't know if this is actually a good example of it but like actually that's probably a shitty example never mind let's move on from that (laughs) (laughs) anyways yeah i I don't think i have anything else on that do you neither me either i think that that's cool that's good man you're up all right we have your recommended mesocycle or duration ranges for fat slash muscle slash maintaining phases say that again uh your recommended mesocycle or, or duration slash ranges. So basically recommended length for fat loss phases, muscle gaining phases, and maintenance phases. Oh, that is a, a very – it depends on where your current body's composition is at. In you, I'm so sorry. Before we go and dig into this, do you want to like turn this into the next podcast? Because I feel like this in itself could be a podcast. Sure. To do that, I'm good with that. Do you have other questions you want to dig into? Um, not that I have to dig into by any means. Are you good with that? Do you have any other like long form ones like that? Because I feel like that one's gonna be a long ass answer. Yeah, no, I think that that's I think that's good. We'll just ha- cool. let's just let's turn that into its own thing. All right. So then, my other question for you is, um, all right. Her question was, my appetite has been all over the place since I started the reverse diet. Sometimes I'm starving while others I struggle to hit my macros because I feel stuffed. Is it normal or am I just weird? And then I asked her, do you have regular meal times? Yes, I train and eat at the same time every day and about the same amount of food every day. Yes, um, she's training five days per week, one day lists. 
and trying to hit about nine to 10 K steps per day. Okay. What's the initial question? Uh, she said my appetite has been all over the place since I started the reverse diet. Sometimes I'm starving while others I struggle to hit my macro because I feel stuffed. Is it normal? It is weird. Okay. Um, it definitely can be normal. The, the main thing when it comes to starting a reverse diet that I found with people and even myself is when you're coming out of the deficit right up front and you add some calories back in, hunger levels are, are for the majority of people are always going to be pretty increased, right? And so while they're increased, and but then you see an increase in calories, the first thing that most people want to do is start adding in a lot more of the fun foods or the foods that they were craving more often, right? And so when you do that right off of the bat, when hunger levels are increased and you increase calories, you're not really getting you're not satisfying yourself that much more. And so I always try to recommend to people like just because your calories are increasing because we're starting the reverse, that doesn't mean that your food choices, food choices should change all that much up front. You want to make sure that you're satisfying yourself. So I would highly suggest continuing just to eat the same foods that you're already eating, but just eat higher quantities um, of those foods for the first little while to make sure that you're getting full over time. Um, and then as you continue through the reverse diet, your hunger hormones are going to get better and better and get to a, a much better place. And as this happens, well, then you get to a point to where you necessarily don't need to continue eating very high volume, low calorie foods just to keep yourself satiated. And this is when people start having struggles just in terms of um, hitting their caloric intake to, to be reaching their, their maintenance level of calories on a very consistent basis. This is when I would talk about starting to change food groups and maybe like switching from uh, maybe if you're using cauliflower rice, maybe you're switching that to just a regular rice, or maybe if you're using like really low calorie bread and in terms of like a, a Sara Lee, the 45 calorie slices of bread, whatever those are, um, and turning that just to, to a regular piece or a hundred calorie piece of bread, just getting smarter with the volumes that you're choosing for the amount of calories that you're eating. And so that's what I would recommend here for you too. If it's kind of all over the place, just in terms of like on a daily basis, your hunger is all over the place. In that scenario, it's just going to take being hyper aware of how you're feeling in that particular day and then going for more high volume, low calorie foods on the days that you're feeling ravenous and then going for lower volume, higher calorie foods on the days that you're feeling extra full. Um, how, why would you say that that would be happening if hunger is all over the place, like starting the reverse diet? Because typically for me, like working with somebody, for the most part, everybody's more hungry at the start and then that slowly starts mm -hmm. to taper off. Would you say that like some of that can definitely have to do with if it's a lady, like the menstrual cycle coming in and, and cravings are actually going to increase during that time on that week. So you have to be more hyper, hyper aware of it then. But for the, the most part, like the first part of the reverse diet, hunger levels are still high. And then as you've been in it four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, you get to a point to where hunger starts to decrease. Yeah, I, I'm very much agree with what you said, man. I think that food composition was the biggest thing I would say because like for her, it's pretty tightly regulated. And I didn't actually ask about her cycle because it could also be like, hey, this happens to be like the week before I'm going to get my cycle. Yeah. I'm trying to remember like what phase of anyways. Uh, and so like, hey, hunger is a little bit higher and it's easy to be like, okay, well, I'm not sure why I'm feeling like this this week, right? Uh, I would say too, like more and more, I think it's, helpful for women to track where they're at in their cycle if you Me too. again like if you are uh and this is like something that we're adding to like our tracker as well so our clients can and again i think it's kind of a fine line between like hey how, do you really if you want to track all this if you do 
which like for her, she's asked a decent amount of questions and I know she like enjoys stuff like this. So I'd say that'd probably be helpful as well. But like, cause I know like a lot of clients that I work with, they're like, I, I'm, I like <laughs> try my best, but I can't necessarily keep track of like everyone's cycles and like where all this is at and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of times I know, like some of my clients in the past has been like, man, my weight is up this weekend. I just don't know what's going on and I'm hungry and like all this. And that's like, Oh, Hey, I got my period. Yeah. Like, okay. So this is right. Like this is, that's to be expected, right? Like we can for many people. So, um, I think that's helpful. I would definitely consider that. And then is that something you guys track? So, um, I know that it's something that Alex tracks with his clients very, very tediously for me. I just, whenever somebody lets me know, like hunger levels are high or, um, different things like that, or weight is randomly up for a week, or it didn't drop the same as it's been dropping consistently. The first question that I always ask is where are you at in terms of your cycle? But it honestly, it is something that I should just add to the tracker, but it's something that I haven't, um, like our weekly check-in process, just because I work with a good, a good amount of guys too. And I don't want to, I would have to separate. I just haven't gone through the work of separating a guy's weekly check-in compared right. to, um, a lady's like exactly check-in. Where we're at too, yeah. Yeah. So I don't necessarily track it perfectly, but like Alex, he only works with ladies. And so, um, he's very on top of that kind of thing for me where I work with both. It's just the first question that I ask when the signs come up of high weigh-ins or, um, extra hunger slash cravings. Same, same. And that's like, I think for the interesting thing about that is to like, I have no idea like what this is like, but I would think that personally I'd be like, okay, like this is coming up, like I should expect this. But then like I, a lot of times it's like almost like a surprise that these things are happening. So I think for a lot of women, then like understanding like, okay, hey, I can look to this. And that explains like why these things are happening. Then I think it's helpful. Um, but anyways, yeah, past that, like I think the food composition is the biggest that you already touched on is like the biggest thing I could see. Like she's tightly regulated. It's not like she's like, she's tracking her steps. She's consistently hitting a step target. So it's not like there's these drastic variations yeah. Movement. Um, I love your point about like, hey, food composition should stay pretty similar. And again, I would say like that would be what I would think. Like, even if you're hitting the same macros, like the amount of satiety you're going to get from a protein shake versus like 25 grams of protein from a protein shake versus 25 grams of protein from a chicken breast or from a Greek yogurt, it's going to be completely different. So that's really what I would say. Because even like, again, like you said, even like meal times are are the same again i would say that's probably then like past that what i would think would be the culprit um yeah i don't think i really have anything else to add to that me either i think that's good cool man should we wrap this one up here sure yeah that sounds good perfect dude all right as always thank you all for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time